0: Well, it is so good to be with uh, everyone here. When, when Jared asked me if I would come and speak at his installation service, uh, it, it is such a privilege to see what God has done in the life of your new pastor's family. Uh, it's, it was, uh, especially when he gets up and announces the, the reality that there's food afterward. Uh, As I've continued to minister in a variety of different settings and churches that uh, are of different sizes, the the larger the congregations, the less food is offered afterward. And it's a shame. It's really a shame. Now what we're we're basically have to do uh, where we get donuts, like that's what we get because that's all we can do uh, when the church has grown. But here you still get the potluck afterward. You still get food and fellowship. That's a very special thing. But uh, this morning, it is, it is uh, again, just a privilege to be able to have been an uh, opportunity to interact with Jared and Carrie and their family. Uh, they had come to our the church that I serve at uh, just outside of the Greenville area in a season of transition with a lot, a lot of levels of uncertainty as to what God would do with them, where God would place them, how long he would have them be wherever he wanted them to be. And I am just delighted to see every time God takes his servants and he places them exactly where he wants them. Because he does that with all of us, doesn't he? Uh, it's no different for a pastor and his family, although uh, at various times uh, we, we think it might be different, but it's not. A lot of prayer, a lot of, uh, you know, times where you're in the, in the Lord's word just saying, God, where do you want us? What do you want us to do? I can attest to you as a congregation uh, the joy that I have had over coffee, over a dinner table, uh, having them in our home, your pastor's desire to follow God's leading no matter where that would take them uh, and no matter what kind of circumstance that might put them in. He wanted that. And so, Jared, it it is a huge privilege uh, this morning to be able to come and and speak to your congregation and to this body of believers who is adamant about uh, wanting to be in the truth of God's word. So this morning, what I'm going to do is Uh, uh, I'm going to let you in on a little bit of instruction that I have for Jared uh, as he pastors you. And then also in the text that is before us, talk a little bit about the congregation's responsibility together. Because these are really precious times. Churches start and transition at a variety of levels. It causes certain levels of soul anxiety. Well, who is this guy going to be? We, we, do we want him? Do we not? And now you have him for good or bad. The reality is, is we recognize as pastors, and Jared, I believe, recognizes this as well. We are fallible, sinful people in the progress of sanctification who continue to grow each and every day. You're going to see that in his life, I hope, as, as you have already seen and he's going to see that in your life, and it's supposed to be a reciprocal thing in the life of the body that is encouraging. That's what you have in, in the text of 1 Peter that we have this morning. If you take your Bible, turn uh, to 1 Peter 5. I think it's a very, very interesting text as we think about it together because you have a text before you written by the Apostle Peter who had these really incredible experiences that he would have had with Jesus Christ. And we don't have the time to go recap the Gospels of all the things that Peter would have witnessed, experienced, and saw. But we do understand this. Peter... Had a, had a very important message. Now let me just set and acclimate your own mind for a moment Moment on the context. Most people, as they come to the book of 1 Peter, recognize that this book was written just preceding a lot of persecution that was going to ensue the life of the Christian community right before uh, a very wicked ruler of Rome by the name of Nero would come to power. And so what you seem to have in the book of 1 Peter is a ramping up of various levels of persecution within the church and various information to the elders to say, you better watch out for this. Be mindful of this because in God's good providence, they were going to need every bit of experience and instruction from the Apostle Peter necessary so that they could walk through a very intense time in the life of the Christian community. Now, mark that out in the life of our current culture for a moment. Now, it may not be, maybe we're not followed by a level of of current uh, persecution, but there is a lot of tension in the culture that we live in today, if you haven't noticed. You can take and turn on the news, and you can see all kinds of of individualism, tension on all kinds of different fronts for the church and Christian communities. Peter understood this with this level of escalation. He writes this book and these words to make sure that they could make it through a time period like this. And I think it's, it's very fitting when we think about an installation service to talk about these components of being a good shepherd. That's why this morning I've entitled this, uh, this message, Shepherding with Care, because of how significant that is. Now, when we think about uh, dealing with the idea of shepherding with care, every particular book in the Bible, especially the epistles, you have to ask yourself this very important question. Why? What was the context and circumstances from which they wrote this book? Now, I think you find it in this particular book in First Peter chapter five, verse twelve. And here's what it says: He says, "By Sylvanus, a, a faithful brother, as I regard him, I have written briefly to you." Now he, he gives the whole purpose in a nutshell: exhorting and declaring that this is the truth, the, the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. Really simple. If you can read through the book of First Peter, that's his goal. That's my same goal for, for Jared as it is for this congregation. In the time of a rising tension in a culture that seems to be at odds on so many fronts, the Christian community is often the one that feels a very weighty experience to stand firm in the faith. Well, what do we do when someone says this? Or what do we do when when various ethnicity and ethnic tensions are are on rise? Or how do we respond in our community with with these circumstances? I think the whole goal is to stand firm and have a pastor who's willing to stand firm in the gospel that has been given, but have a congregation that collectively backs the servant of the Lord to say we not only stand, you see you stand firm, but we want to stand firm with you. And I would just, I, I, I know Jared enough to, to, to know his commitment to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so when we think about the, the purpose of this particular book, it becomes an incredible uh, focus for us this morning when we think about 1 Peter. Let's read the first five verses together because I want to park mainly on those particular ones. 1 Peter chapter 5, uh, verses 1-5. to Here is what he says. He says, So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, Likewise, you who are younger, subject to the subject, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourself, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Now, if I could pull out a main idea as we think about this particular text and book, but specifically in the text before us, it, it would really be something like this, and we can flip to that main idea slide. Here's what it says. Here's the main idea that I want you to grasp this morning, that the Christian community must persevere together until Christ appears, okay? This isn't just a job of the pastor. It's a job of the, it's job of the people and the collective Christian community to support one another in such a way that you not only persevere through persecution, through various adversities, but you do it unified, now, I don't know about you, but I've, been, I've served in ministry for at least 20 years at this particular point on various venues. And, and at different times, unity, have you found this? It's hard to come by sometimes. You have to fight to be unified together as a body. You have to fight against various voices, even within the body to say, oh, I don't know about what so and so is doing over there. I don't know what pastor said on Sunday morning. I don't know if I agree with that. I like that. Don't like that. Now, I know living in church body life that those things actually exist. I've experienced moments in a congregation where I've walked in a room after I've spoken a certain thing on a Sunday morning and know that they're talking about something I said because the room went dead silent. I'm thinking, well, this is awkward. But the reality is we have to fight for unity and we have to persevere and it doesn't stop until he comes. That's the important side of it. One, it's temporary. And yet what we do in the immediate really matters for eternity now, here's what you notice. I want, us to, give, I want to give us three particular uh, things that we'll draw out of this text. And the first is really directed, uh, I think, very specifically to what we think about the work of an elder. You notice this. Uh, and this first one is the directive. Here's the directive in the text. It's very simple. It's a very simple command. And here's what it says. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. Well, Jared, I'll tell you what, if we prayed together as we did a number of different times over coffee, and we said to each other, what is God going to do? It's clear. This is where he has you. This is the directive of shepherding this flock of people, this group of, of, of believers that have committed their life to the grace and the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I'll tell you, Jared, not only does it delight my soul, but it also makes me pray for you more. Because I know that as a pastor, so often, if, if Satan could do one thing, if he could derail the leader of a church, it seems that a, a lot of things go wrong after that. And I would say, Jared, as you think about these particular words that, was, that was, were given to the elders that, that Peter was talking to, He says, shepherd the flock of God. And I would say to you, Jared, shepherd them well. Here you start and embark on a journey together as a pastor and congregation to to care for and the idea of shepherding, the idea of oversight, care, concern, and yes, even at times, discipline. You know, if you look at all the the shepherding material in the Old Testament, and you look at how uh, Psalm 23 is laid out, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. There is levels of both of it, care, concern, and, and correction that have to go on in the life of the body. Let me tell you this from the pastoral side. Because many in, many in a congregation don't experience the fear and trepidation of having to set up a meeting with somebody who seems to be sliding further and further and further and further away from the truth. How much prayer, how much concern, how much thought, how much, how much sleep is lost as you lay in your bed thinking to yourself, I know i got to talk to them. How can I care for them? What can I say to draw them back away from where they're, from where they're headed? But it's all worth it when you, when you see that kind of concern and all of a sudden that person realizes the truth of the gospel and they, and they start moving away and back toward Jesus Christ. There, all the time, all the prayer, all, the, all the, the, the tears that you spend even as a pastor, Jared, will be worth it when you see them become more like Jesus Christ. And I would say as a, for you as a congregation, never tire of seeing people wrestle with sanctification. Like, do, do you not, I mean, don't you think about that? I mean, was last week super easy for you? I don't know if you're like me. It's hard. Living the Christian life is difficult. And all of a sudden, when, when, just because uh, I'm a pastor, that doesn't make it different for me than it is for you. And I would just encourage you as you think about it, this ought to cause you, uh, given the, the task that is at hand, for the pastor that you have called to pray for him as he embarks on the work that God wants him to do. Now notice, now think about the person who's writing these words. I think this is quite fascinating. When you have the apostle Peter, but you know how sometimes brash Peter was and how often he was very outspoken in the way that he would say things like, Lord, I mean, if, if everybody else falls away, guess what? I won't. Like I almost, I almost think, you know, Jesus was scratching his head like with Peter going, you, you don't even get it, do you? See, sometimes God's even closest disciples thought that they wouldn't fall or wouldn't do things that 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 would be displeasing to the Lord, but all of a sudden, Peter found himself denying the Lord three times, only to weep with such an incredible weeping to think, how could this happen? I mean, you you read that story, then Jesus, in his incredible shepherding care, you see him find it, you see him find Peter in John 21, and this is what he says to him. It says when they had finished breakfast, of course, this is after they had went and turned back fishing. Remember, and then Jesus was standing on the shore and and they had caught no fish. And then all of a sudden, Jesus does something amazing. Peter knows it's him. They get to the shore. Jesus says, we're going to fix some fish. And here's where he picks up in John 21, 15. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, feed my lambs. And he said to him a second time, Simon son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. And he said to him the third time, Simon son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. Now, here's the reality, Jared. Is that very command that Jesus gave to Peter, Peter is now giving to the elders, and now I'm giving that to you. Feed his sheep, do it well, make them theologically sound embed the truth of the gospel in such a way that that their heart hears the truth of God's word and they become like those two men on the roads to Emmaus whose hearts burned within them because they loved the truth that immensely. But don't just create an environment of people who are so heady and informationally minded that they're so intellectual that all of a sudden they they can't relate with the average person out in the community that says, that they show and demonstrate their discipleship by the love of Jesus Christ. It is so important to feed and to tend the sheep that God has given to us. And I think what you notice on this short, uh, small phrase, you, you understand this. He wanted Peter to feed his sheep. He wanted him to tend the sheep. And now Peter takes that very admonition and he turns around and gives it to the elders that he is talking to. Isn't that the way disciples do it? I mean, Peter was taught by Jesus, and then Peter was discipling others, and hopefully, those disciples were then discipling others, and that is the idea that Paul or that Peter wants to convey. Now, three things about this: one, remember whose flock you're tending. Yes, you're the pastor of the church. I get it, but they're not yours exclusively. They're God's. They're God's flock remember in, as you pastor them that every amount of care and concern, you can't just be a heavy-handed individual. You want your pastor, if we took a survey this morning and, and we could say, what do you want Jared to be like? I can, te- I can tell you this, you would want him to be like what Peter is saying, to shepherd you, to care for you, to correct you if you needed it, you, didn't want to, you don't want a pastor who's just going to tell you whatever you want to hear because that makes you feel good so that you feel good as you're going to do wrong things. That's not the point. The point is, it's God's flock. He sacrificed in John 10 to develop this flock and he has handed this particular visible flock to the care of an under-shepherd, which is you. Shepherd them well. It's such a critical function of an elder. So often, I think, when we, we think about the job of the pastor, that the only thing we tend to focus on is what he does from the pulpit. Can he proclaim God's Word? Can he exposit uh, the, the sermon? Can he Does he know the language? That we often spend very, very little time thinking about how he can shepherd. And Jared, I would... I I told uh, because of our mutual friendship with many in the counseling world, where the shepherding function of a pastor is highlighted to such a degree. I walked in your front doors, I looked at your guys' book, uh, your book selection out front. And, and many of those books I have and, and I have recommended to so many people who are going through a variety of different hardship. And I said, there's a pastor here who understands shepherding and the resources that are going to be selected to use in the life of the body. That should be a tremendous blessing for you. I've been a lot of different places and seen a lot of different churches. And I've had many congregants come up to me and say these words. If only my pastor knew how to shepherd me. I love his preaching. I love his pulpit presence. I love how he exposits the word, but he can't help me with that problem. That's why I'm coming to you. I would say, from what I know and what I've experienced with Jared is that you have a, you have a man who has been trained in ministry, but, but also has the heart of a shepherd who cares for your soul and wants and desires for you to become more like Jesus Christ. And he knows that's a process. That's such a beautiful thing. Shepherding is that critical function and and God has given you a specific flock. It's this one. So many times, Jared, I I would say I see young men come into ministry and really what they want is they look at some level of ministry as a stepping stone to be some other level uh, to get to another level of ministry. Where they want to be known as an author or known as a speaker or travel as some circuit. Jared, this is the place God has for you. Make it your priority. Make it a place where, where you know that no matter what it is, you are serving God well. I remember one, con- one conversation that, was, that, was, that went on between an author in a book that he recorded of a conversation between a smaller church pastor and a larger church pastor. And the larger church pastor was lamenting on just how big it was and the smaller church pastor was lamenting on how he wished it was He wished it was bigger. And the larger church pastor said to him, listen, on the day when the chief shepherd appears, you will be thankful that you are giving account to a smaller group of people because of the importance of the task that is at hand. Never tire, no matter the size. Church is not not about size, is it? I think, unfortunately, the, the culture that we live in is so embroiled with the idea that you have to have this popularity concept. But I'll tell you what, it's more about the faithfulness to the teaching of the scripture, no matter what, who brings it, no matter how large the congregation is. It's about being faithful. And he's given you a specific flock that you would be faithful to I love what E.M. Bounds uh, says in his book on prayer. He he says, The young preacher has been taught to lay out all his strengths on the form, taste, and beauty of his sermon as a mechanical and intellectual product. We have thereby cultivated a, a, a vicious taste among the people and raised the clamor for talent instead of grace, eloquence instead of piety, rhetoric instead of revelation, reputation and brilliance instead of holiness. I hope it can never be said of us, Jared, as we're pastoring in different places, that that would be our aim, to be the next radio preacher or popular podcast that everyone listens to in the morning, that I go to the Word faithfully, to the congregation, to the flock that God has placed me to oversee, and say, God, I'm doing what you've asked me to do. Jared, let that be said to you as you embark on this journey of the pastor of this church, be mindful of that. Now, as he moves in, not only the directive to be a good shepherd, but he also describes the shepherd. This is really helpful, I think, for the congregation. So if you want to mark and watch the things that you should be watching for, Peter lays it out. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 3, because the pastor is a discipler. He says, don't do this not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Now, just notice the three things he brings up. You can't do it under compulsion, which means you can't feel like you're forced. Now, it's a real big challenge in some regard when you think to yourself, well, uh, what does that mean, not under compulsion? Well, it, it can't mean this. It, 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 the pastor's heart cannot be a heart that says, well, I guess I don't want to move. So the easiest place to go would be where, right here. It can't feel like, well, I guess I'm forced to have to shepherd you people. I mean, I like shepherding some of you, but there's others of you. It cannot be under compulsion where you feel forced. This is not something you are forced to do. It's something that you're supposed to enjoy doing. Now, I understand, and you understand congregational life, that it goes on various ups and downs, and you have seasons where it's more enjoyable, more challenging, and sometimes less desirable. But as you work through the seasons, you ought to watch your pastor be a person who's not serving you because he's forced to serve you. But I think you have a pastor who's willingly accepted a call to care for your soul. Because he was willing, as God would have him. This is the whole point of willing versus forced. And if you take it back even to the life of Jesus, by the way, this is the whole thing that ought to enamor you about the person of Jesus Christ if you go to Philippians chapter 2. Because no one forced Jesus to die on the cross, he willingly gave himself so that, so that he could be your Savior. That is the very model of servitude that you ought to look for in your pastor. But willingly, as God would have you. I can only imagine from the father's standpoint when he would say to the son, are you willing? And the son said, yes. Being a discipler is not an easy task. Sometimes you have to say hard things at difficult times but I'll tell I tell people all the time as as one of my main functions is at the church that I serve in is the pastor of member care and counseling and people will say this to me I'm always somewhat shocked by it they'll say to me how do you sit every week and listen to people's problems isn't that discouraging they think I, they say to me, they followed up with this, I could never do that, I'd be so depressed, then I'd need counseling. I say, do you realize you get a front row seat to the Spirit's work in the life of people? How much better does it get? I don't see that on Sunday morning just when I preach. I don't know what's going on there, but when we come together at different times where I can have personal interaction of shepherding the souls of individuals, I hear the burden that God has placed on their heart, or the sorrows and pain, or the illnesses they experience that generate all kinds of questions. And you can care for them and watch them depend and trust in Jesus Christ. As a congregation, I would encourage you. Every person is called to be a discipler, not just Jared. Jared is just the main, the head discipler who then trains disciples and disciples make disciples. That's what they do. Can't be under compulsion. You can't say to yourself, even as a congregant, uh, you know what, I got I to gotta do this discipling thing because I have to, I'm, you know, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian's disciple. So I guess I should do that. It shouldn't be under compulsion for you either. It should be something that when you come to church, by the way, that you're targeting one another, seeing and knowing one another enough to say, maybe we need to catch coffee. Maybe we need to get a chance to invite them, this individual or this couple or this family, over to our home, sit at our table, ask them how we can pray for them, how we can care for them. Do it willingly as God would have you. He's glorified with that. And it can't be for shameful gain has to be something that is that is eagerly done now these two things these two components put together really are are piggybacking off each other one it can't be about money because in, in in peter's day and age there was a lot of charlatans there were a lot of false teachers there were a lot of false prophets that were doing things for money and the servants of the lord the elder of the church should be a person who's not about money He can't say, uh, I'll serve you up until my paycheck. If it doesn't change, then I don't know about how I'm going to be an elder for you anymore. But it also says something else that if you don't have, if you have a pastor, who's not about shameful gain and who's eagerly and willingly serving on your behalf, here's what the congregation should do. Take care of him. Whatever that looks like, take care of him so that he can shepherd well for you, not encumbered by other things so that all of a sudden when he has time and all the things that are necessary to devote and shepherd well. We recognize that there are various levels of resources that, that go into play, but I will tell you this, Peter says very, very firmly don't be about shameful gain, but something that is eagerly and willingly done for the sake of another person. And then he says this. He says, don't do it in a way, don't disciple in a way that's a domineering aspect. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being example to the flock. Well, what does domineering look like? I don't know if you've ever been to a place where you saw some level of a picture of Hitler. There could be some level of epitome of dictatorship, okay, or domineering presence. And you could go through history and name a whole bunch. The pastor should never be that way. As a discipler, he has to be one who's not domineering. And this particular aspect, by the way, in the first century, had a lot of overtones for this. Those who are strong over those who are weak. You don't take advantage of the weak. And that's what he's saying in this text, is to be a pastor, Jared, who is someone who is not domineering over them in such a way that you say, well, I've got it all together. I'm the one who's the pastor. Or at a business meeting, say, you know what? I don't care what you all think, because I'm the pastor. I got the license, I got the title, and now I got the installation. You've got nothing on me. You can't be a pastor like that. And have people actually respect you in a way that they're going to want to be shepherded under your care. You care for those who are the weak. You care for those who are downtrodden. I mean, doesn't James say that so explicitly when he says, pure and undefiled religion is this, that one cares for the orphans and the widows who are in need Care for every aspect of the body, those who, are, those who are strong here, both the pastor and those who are members who are spiritually strong. Care for those who at moments in their life are spiritually weak. Don't make this this moment to say, oh good, we got a pastor installed and God provided that now. Every time someone needs help, I just give them Jared's number. Don't do that. Care for them as well. He's here to help you be, to model discipleship so that you can also partake in the discipleship yourself. Because that is where the incredible front row seat of the Spirit of God working in people's lives that will energize your soul. You know what? I'm convinced that so many Christians after a long period of time of sitting in the congregation, all of a sudden to have their Christianity start to wane in the enjoyment. You know why I think that partly is? is because they're not involved with the sanctification process of the life of people. They're not involved in people's lives. And here's the real unfortunate side. They don't let people be involved in their life. Once you start getting away from the discipleship process, all of a sudden you start losing the enjoyment that God always intended for you to have. And by nature, you lose a very important element. Disciples are supposed to be known by their love. This community ought to be known by this church body's love for them. And you can say, wow, I'm, I'm part of a church like that that disciples people in that kind of way. Now he's, he steps away from more of a direct emphasis on the elder, and in verse number five, he, he says this. He says, I want you to exercise oversight. Then Here's how I want you to do it. And now he says this. He says in verse 4, And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. So first got the directive, shepherd your flock. We've got second of all, the discipler that's going to need it to do that. And now you've got this phrase, the day of his appearing. I don't know about you, but I came, I, I, I think I probably like this on most Sunday mornings. I hope you would like it too you would just like him to come back like now. Don't you feel that way? I mean, look forward to your week. You think, great, I've got some things, but just come now. We typically want him to come kind of when it's at that point where I've got something really tough going on. But it shouldn't be that way for the Christian, should it? I mean, it's hard living every day trying to fight against sin and the attitudes and dispositions that that seem to permeate your own wicked, sinful heart. Yeah, we have those. We have moments, all of us do, of attitude adjustments that need to be rendered to the Holy Spirit and submitted to the Spirit so that we bear the fruits of the Spirit. But all the joy it's going to be when the day that the chief shepherd appears. Uh, we, were just, we were just a few moments ago singing about that. I, I have so hard a time. I tell people in our congregation, as soon as you start singing about the resurrection and, and rising from the dead and all the new body, new life, I was just, how do you not? Yes! <laughs> like, take me now. <laughs> do you not. We do understand John's plea at the end of Revelation. Come, Lord Jesus, come. You know what? I will say, Jared, as you shepherd this flock... There's a day coming that you will answer to the chief shepherd about how well you've discipled and shepherded this flock, and that's a serious task. Congregation, there is a serious side of how you've submitted and come alongside of and been willing to be shepherded by the shepherd that God has placed in your midst. We will all, for different responsibilities, stand before the chief shepherd, and when he appears, it's going to be a glorious thing what an what a incredible statement that he makes. And when the chief shepherd appears, here's what, he's, here's what he's trying to get at. One, first of all, there's a level of urgency about this. Because what if it's next week? Now, if you knew it was going to be next week on Sunday, wouldn't that change the way you shepherded this week? I think it probably would. It's like, I need to get together with some people maybe that I, shouldn't, that I need to help and, and try to help them work through various things. If you knew by next Sunday you were going to be in the chief shepherd's presence, wouldn't that change the way you lived out your week? I think I might be taking my, all of the rest of whatever vacation I had and just spending time in the word. Cleansing my soul to figuring out, okay, I, I need to make sure that I'm I'm right with the Lord continually and that my heart is in the place God wants it to be. But notice this, when he appears, gives an urgency, okay, but it also means that what we're doing here is temporary. It's not gonna last forever. You realize at some particular point, this building, this community, all all of this is going to be gone and we're gonna be ushered in as believers to a presence of the living God for e eternity. And I don't think we're going to be twiddling our thumbs wondering, all right, what do I do now? Like we just sang a, like a hundred different worship songs. Now what? That's not, what he, that's not what's going to happen. You will serve him. Let me just put it this way. You will serve him there to, the, to a greater capacity of what you wish you could have done here with the kind of heart that you would longed for, but you will do it perfectly there. But that should, that should allow us to realize that how we pursue living on this side of heaven matters. It matters to the people that are sitting next to you because they're the ones who really know you, who know how to pray for you, who know how to care for you. And when the chief shepherd appears, he is going to make us like him. Oh, new bodies sound really good the older I get. And some of you are older than me, and you're thinking, man, that new body thing can't come quick enough. Uh, I've got a father-in-law with a a couple of different surgeries of knee surgery, hip surgery. He's thinking, what left kind of surgery can they do? I'm saying, just wait, Dad. Uh, You're going to get a whole new renovation to your body, and it's going to be really good. You and I have that to look forward to. Here's something that's really, really fascinating. And when the chief shepherd appears you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Wow. Now, let me just disabuse you of what I think the picture that I want you to have in your mind. You're that somehow you're going to get to heaven and you're going to be able to know who was all shepherds and who shepherded well, because if he did it right, then he's got a special little crown you don't have. And then all the other elders that are there get a special little crown that you all don't have and they all have a little shepherd gathering over in the corner because they have crowns and you don't. That's not what's going on. What he's saying is this. He uses a phrase in the Greek language and a genitive of possession to to say something like this and it's often not rendered in the English translation. To receive the unfaded crown which is glory. It's glory. It's life eternal. That's what we get. He will get that. You will get the unfading crown of glory in opposition to what Peter is saying, if you went and you went and ran in one of the games of the first century and you had this beautiful wreath put upon your head, but slowly the longer you, you, you hung that wreath at your house, that the, the glory of that wreath and that moment, the flowers began to fade, the, 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 the wreath started to wither, and pretty soon you, you looked back and said, I used to be a man filled with glory, but now I'm just withered. That's not the way it's gonna be in heaven. You will receive the unfading crown, which is glory and eternal life. And I'll tell you what, there's no fading going to be happening. That glorified body, I don't care how many years you live after that for on and on into eternity, you won't say this statement like, the years haven't been kind. You'll say, you look good. And you know what, when when we get there together, and this is such the beauty of the Christian community, is that we will be welcomed into the presence of the chief shepherd, having persevered together, having received the unfading crown, which is the glory that we get with eternal life. It doesn't get much better than eternal. It doesn't get much better than that. You can't place a crown on some people's head and say, now it's better. No, we get it because we live forever with him. I think this leads us to one thing as, we, as he finishes out the section. I just want to read it to you just because I, because I think it's so important that he highlights not only the duty of the shepherd, but the duty of the Christian community in its congregational Perseverance. You have to persevere together. The the pastor does his job. The congregation does their job. Why do you think in verse 5, he transitioned and says, "Clothe clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Now notice where he goes as he ends it. Humble yourselves. This is the Christian community under the mighty hand of God that at the proper time, He may exalt you but the proper time is the unfading crown of glory of eternal life. Casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful, because your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him, pastorally and congregationally. Firm in your faith, knowing that the same Would you guys have the opportunity and what we celebrate here today in an installation service is an is a incredible uh, opportunity for Jared to think about the, the gravity of the situation of being a pastor. But it also holds a lot of weight just being part of the Christian community. Live together with humility. Come under the shepherd's care with humility subject to. It's okay. I guarantee you, Jared will be okay with you after a morning service. If you came to him in the back and said, where did you find that in the Bible? He will have an answer. I hope he should, but it's okay for you to be wise and discerning to the shepherd that you are placing over you. But that is only an extension of what you're doing in all areas of your own devotional life to the things that you know, the things that you listen to, the things that you read, the things that you watch. Care for one another as the good shepherd cared for us. Jared, take care of the flock that God has put you oversight. Love it. Don't just think, oh, I got to go figure out a sermon. Prepare your sermons with people in mind. I'd often sit in my office when I was preparing sermons with various photographs of the congregation at different times or recalling different events of the life of the body at any given moment, saying, what am I about to say on Sunday? Why does it matter to the person in this picture, to the, to the, to the teenager in this particular photo, to the congregant who is expected with who has been just diagnosed with this illness. It has to mean something to bring joy and uplift them and, and continue the hope that they have in Jesus Christ. As we do this together, there can be an incredible and immense amount of joy that you experience when people come into your body. They can say, they should be able to say this, wow, those people love each other and that you are known as disciples of Jesus Christ by the love you have for each other. Jared, love this flock. It's not an enduring thing. I have to enjoy it. Enjoy every part of it. Congregation, love your pastor. Don't backbite, don't talk about him. Go to him if you have questions. So much of the things that we struggle with striving for unity in the life of the body could be, could be settled if people would just talk to each other instead of write a blog about it or tweet about it or give a Facebook message about it. If you just care for one another enough to give each other the benefit of the doubt that love believes all things until proven otherwise, you can become a congregation with such an extraordinary amount of love and that, Jared, you will model that kind of love here, and that that love will be reciprocated by the congregation so that as you prepare for that one important day, you'll be ready to stand before the chief shepherd of our souls, each one of us. So I hope, Jared, I hope it's encouraging to you. Uh, thank you so much for allowing me to able to come and give you a charge and speak to your congregation. Uh, it's been a delight to be able to, to take God's word and open it with you. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, we, we're delighted to be in your presence through the revelation of your word. Lord, it is so heartwarming to think that there is a moment in time that the chief shepherd will appear and we'll spend eternity with him. Lord, I pray for Jared as you have called him to a very solemn task. You have called him to the work of pastoral ministry and he loves it. Not doing it out of compulsion or for shameful gain, but he's doing it because he loves you and this is what you called him to do. Lord, I pray that you be with this body, that they would serve one another and they would serve the community that they've been placed in in a way that exemplifies the love of the chief shepherd who sacrificed himself for us. Lord, thank you for the time that you've given us together today. In your name we pray, amen.